Welcome to Reading to Kids podcast. I'm your host, Jenna. And I'm your host, Peyton. And we're here to read to you or with you. We know that sometimes moms and dads don't always have the time or the motivation to read to their kids each night, and we know how important it is. So, on those nights that you're not in the mood, we're going to do it for you. Can't wait to read with you. Good job, Peyton. High five. Are we, can we sing Look Away before every, every episode? Why? If anybody would like to know what Peyton's doing right now, we, Peyton's on independent study right now because her cousin's going to be here visiting from, where are they coming from? I don't know, somewhere, I don't know, a different state in the Midwest. But anyways, they're out here in California where they're arriving today. And we went and got crumble cookie, <clears throat> crumble cookie last night with her cousin Mila for her birthday, and uh, she's decided to just munch on that for breakfast. And here's the thing: it's fine, it's fine. Things like that don't really bother me as long as she doesn't do it regularly. Doesn't even phase me. <coughs> okay, all right, come on over. A series of unfortunate events, the bad beginning. This is book one, and we're on chapter five. Chapter 5. Unless you have been very, very lucky, you have undoubtedly experienced events in your life that have made you cry. So, unless you've been very, very lucky, you know that it's a, that a good thing. Long session of weeping can often make you feel better, even if the circumstances have not changed one bit. So, it was with the Baudelaire orphans. Having, having cried all night, they rose the next morning, feeling as if the weight was lifted off of their shoulders. The three children knew, of course, that they were still, they were still in a terrible situation, but they thought that they might do something to make it better. The morning's note from Count Orloff, Olaf had ordered them... What if his name was Count Orloff? <laughs> Count Olaf ordered them to chop firewood in the backyard, and as Violet and Klaus swung an axe down over each log to break it into a smaller piece, they discussed possible plans of actions, while Sunny chewed... Medi- me okay hold this is a this is a hard word Medi- okay hold on oh gosh now i'm gonna sound like a toddler meditative okay i'm skipping that word i think it's like me- meditatively like you're meditating okay on a small piece of wood clearly klaus said fingering the ugly bruise of his finger where olaf had struck him we cannot stay here any longer i would rather take my chances on the streets than live in a terrible place yeah, that's that's true. But who knows what misfortunes could befall us on the streets, Violet pointed out. At least here we have a roof over our heads. I wish our parents' could money could be used now instead of when you come of age, Klaus said. Then we could buy a castle and live in it, with armed guards patrolling the outside to keep Count Olaf and his troop. Oh, to keep out Count Olaf and his troop. I could have a, a large inventing studio, Violet said wistfully. She swung the axe down and split a, long neatly, split a log neatly in two. Filled with gears and pulleys and wires and elaborate computer systems. I could have a large library, Klaus said, just as comfortable as Justice Strauss's, but a bit more enormous. Gibbo, shrieked Sunny, which appeared to mean, and I could have lots of things to bite. But in the meantime, Violet said, we have to do something about our predicament. Perhaps Justice Strauss could adopt us, Klaus said. She, she said that we are always welcome in her home. But she meant for a visit, not to, to use her library, point, Violet pointed out. She didn't mean to live. 
Perhaps if we explain our situation to her, she would agree to adopt us, Klaus had hopefully said hopefully, but when Violet looked at him, he saw that she saw that he knew it was of no use. Adoption is an enormous decision and not likely to happen impulsively. I'm sure you and your life have occasionally wished to be raised by different people than the ones who are raising you, but knew in your heart that the chances of this were very slim. I think that we should go see Mr. Poe, Violet said. He told us when he dropped us here that we could contact him at the bank whenever we had questions. Well, we don't really have a question, Klaus said. Well, we have a complaint. He was thinking of Mr. Poe walking towards them at Briny Beach with his terrible message. Even though the fire was, of course, not Mr. Poe's fault, Klaus was reluctant to see Mr. Poe because he was afraid of getting more bad news. I can't think of anyone else to contact, Violet said. Mr. Poe's in charge of our affairs, and I'm sure that if he knew how horrid Count Olaf is, he would take us right out of here. Klaus pictured Mr. Poe arriving in his car, putting the Baudelaire orphans inside to go somewhere else. He felt a stirring of hope. Anywhere would be better than here. Okay, he said, let's, go f let's get this firewood all chopped and we'll go to the bank. Invigorated by their plan... The Baudelaire orphans swung their axes at an amazing speed, and soon enough they were done chopping firewood and ready to go to the bank. Then they remembered Count Olaf saying that he had a map of the city and that they would. They looked thoroughly for it, but they couldn't find a trace of a map and decided it must be in the tower where they were forbidden to go. So without any directions of any sort, the Baudelaire children set off for the city's banking district in hopes to fi of finding Mr. Poe. After walking through the meat district, the flower district, and the sculpture district, the three children arrived at the banking district, pausing to take a refreshing sip of water at the fountain of victorious finance. The banking district consisted of several wide streets with large marble buildings on each side of them, all banks. They went from first to trustworthy banks and then to faithful saving banks and loan, then to subservient financial services, each inquiring for Mr. Poe. Finally, a receptionist at subservient said that she knew that Mr. Poe worked down the street at Molucturary Money Management. The building was a square rather than what was square and rather plain looking, though once inside the three orphans were immediately by uh, intimidated by the hustle and bustle of the people that raced around in large in a, the large echoey room. Finally, they asked an un uniformed guard whether they had arrived at the right place to speak to Mr. Poe and he had led them into a large office with many file cabinets and no windows. Why hello Mr. Poe said in a puzzled tone of, of voice. He was sitting at his desk covered in covered in typed paper that looked important and boring. Soundings of a small framed photograph of his wife and two beastly sons were three telephones with flashing lights oh my gosh beastly that's the word that if anybody if you guys are listening to our other portion of our podcast the free portion Heidi Hecklebeck's new favorite word is beastly so his two beastly sons uh, <laughs> were three telephones with flashing lights please come in thank you said Klaus shaking Mr. Poe's hand the Baudelaire youngsters sat down in three large and comfortable chairs. Mr. Poe opened his mouth to speak, but had to cough into his handkerchief before he could begin. I'm very busy today, he said, finally, so I don't have too much time to chat. Next time you should call ahead. You should call ahead of time when you can plan on being in the neighborhood, and I will put some time aside to take you to lunch. That would be very pleasant, said Violet, and we're sorry we didn't contact you before we stopped by, but we find yourself in an urgent situation. Count Olaf is a madman. Klaus said, getting, getting right to the point. We cannot stay with him. He struck 
He struck Klaus across the face. See his bruise? Violet said, but just as she said it, one of the telephones rang in a loud, unpleasant wail. Oh, excuse me, said Mr. Poe and picked up the phone. Poe here, he said in a receiver. What? Yes, 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 no, yes, thank you. He hung up the phone and looked at the Baudelaire's as if they had for he had forgotten why they were here. I'm sorry, said Mr. Poe. What were we talking about? Oh, yes, Count Olaf. I'm sorry. You don't have a good first impression of him. He has provided us with one bed, Klaus said. He made us do a great many different chores. He drinks too much wine. Excuse me, said Mr. Poe, as another tele... Oh, excuse me, said Mr. Poe, as another telephone rang. Poe here, seven, 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 six and a half, seven. You're welcome. He hung up quickly and wrote something down on, the, on his piece of paper, then looked at the children. I'm sorry, he said. What were you saying about Count Olaf making you do chores? Doesn't sound so bad. He calls us orphans. He has terrible friends. He's always asking us about our money. Poco, this was from Sonny. Mr. Poe put his hands out to indicate that he had heard enough. Children, children, he said. You must give yourselves time to adjust to the new home. It's only been there. You've only been there a few days. We had been there long enough to know that Count Olaf is a bad man, Klaus said. Mr. Poe sighed and looked at each of the three children. His face was kind, but he didn't look like he really believed what the Baudelaire children were saying. Are you familiar with the Latin terms in loco parentis, he asked. Violet and Sonny looked at Klaus, the biggest reader of the three. He was the most likely to know the vocabulary word and foreign, foreign phrase. Something about trains, he asked. Mr. Poe was giving, going to take them by train to another relative. Mr. Poe shook his head. In loco parentis means acting in the role of a parent, he said. It is the legal term that applies to Count Olaf. Now that you're in his hair, the Count may raise you using any methods he sees fit. I'm sorry if your parents do not make you do not make you do household chores, or if you never saw him them drink wine, or if you like their friends better than Count Olaf's friends, but these are things that you must get used to, as Count Olaf is acting in loco parentis. Understand? But he struck my brother, said Violet. Look at his face. As Violet spoke, Mr. Poe reached to the pocket of his handkerchief, covering his mouth to cough many times into it. He coughed so loudly that Violet could not be certain that he heard her. Whatever Count Olaf has done, Mr. Poe said, glancing down at his piece of paper and circling a number. It has, he has acted in logo parentis and there's nothing I can do about it. Your money will be well protected by myself in the bank, but Count Olaf's parenting techniques are his own business. Now, I hate to usher you out to post haste, but I have very much work to do. The children just sat there stunned and looked at, Mr. Poe looked up and cleared his throat. Post haste, he said, means... Means that you have nothing to help us with. Uh, nothing to help us, Violet finished him. She was shaking with anger and frustration. As one of the phones began to ring, she stood up and walked out of the room, followed by Klaus, who was carrying Sonny. They stalked out of the bank and stood in the street, not knowing what to do next. What shall we do next? Klaus asked sadly. Violet stared at the sky. She wished that she could invent something to take them. I'm assuming it's going to say far. Nope. To take them out of here. It's getting a bit late, she said. We might may as well just go back and think of something else tomorrow. Perhaps we can see Justice Strauss. But you said she wouldn't help us, Klaus said. Not for help, Violet said, for books. It's very useful when one is young to learn different the difference between literally and figuratively. If something happens literally, it actually happens. If something happens figuratively, it feels like it's happening. If you're literally jumping for joy, for instance, it means you are leaping in the air because you're very happy. If you're figuratively jumping for joy, it means that you are so happy that you could jump for joy, but you're saving your energy for other matters. 
the Baudelaire orphans walked back to Count Olaf's neighborhood and stopped at the home of Justice Strauss, who welcomed them inside and let them choose books from the library. Violet chose several books about mechanical inventions. Klaus chose several books about wolves, and Sunny found a book with many pictures of teeth inside. They then went to their room and crowded together in one bed, reading intently and happily. Figuratively, they escaped from Count Olaf and their miserable existence. They did not literally escape because they were still in his house and vulnerable to Olaf's evil and loco parentis ways. But by immersing themselves in their favorite reading topics, they felt far away from their predicament as if they had escaped. And the situation of the orphans, figuratively escaping, was not enough, of course. But in, but at the end of a trining and hopeless day, it would have to do. Violet, Klaus, and Sunny read their books and, in the back of their minds, hoped that their hoped that soon their figurative escape would eventually turn into a literal one. That's terrible, huh? Honestly, I just feel bad for them. It's awful.